The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 357. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You'll find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. And I've got a new course coming out later this month, part three of my Southern Cultural Intellectual History series. So you want to get that. You're going to get the best deal when it comes out. So head over to mcclanahanacademy.com, enroll free of charge, get the free class, and then purchase one of my courses. I've got 12 there for sale. And, of course, that helps keep this podcast free of charge. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com, click, um, click on that support tab, if I can speak today. Click on that support tab, and you can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can buy a book plate, get my autograph of one of my books. I've got a number of books out. Newest one is Southern Scribbling, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. You're going to want that book. It's an awesome book. And if you get that book plate, you can get my autograph on it. So it's a win-win for you. You get a great book and you get the book plate. You can also go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my, that's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom and a whole bunch of other great instructors. So you want to get that too. And you can also click on that shop tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. Get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. So lots of great ways to support the show. As always, rate it wherever you get your podcast. Share it around on social media. Get people thinking locally and acting locally. And this is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode, at least sort of. So let's talk about what Ben Sass had to say about the United States Senate. Make the Senate great again, he said in an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal yesterday. And let's talk about his recommendations. Now, these things aren't new. And of course, Ben Sass, the fact that he's in the Senate, lends some weight to it. But other people have been saying these things for years. I mean, in fact... Yours truly has been arguing for a repeal of the 17th Amendment, which is one of his first recommendations for a long time. In fact, I've been arguing, arguing that for most of my writing career, which is now spanning over a decade. I've been saying, get rid of the 17th Amendment. It is a problem because it nationalizes the government. And the Senate was supposed to be the one part of the general government that was federal. You know, if you look at what Madison and others said about the United States Constitution and what it did, if you go back and read the debates in the Philadelphia Convention, but more importantly, if you read the debates during the ratification of the document, it was discussed that the Congress was comprised of a national part, which was the House of Representatives, and the Senate, which was the federal part. And that the Senate would have more power. You see, this is the dirty little secret. Now, a lot of people on the left know this, which is why they want to abolish the Senate. So you've got Ben Sass on one hand saying, let's make the Senate great. You've got people like Ian Milheiser on the other hand saying, let's abolish the Senate. Because the progressives know, the universal suffragists know, the mass democracy people know that the Senate 
is a block to their democratic utopia. Their democratic socialist utopia, the Senate can be a block to that. Now, if they controlled the Senate, they'd say nothing about it. But because more states in the United States are controlled by Republicans, which are not necessarily anti-progressive at all, but yet they are a block in some ways, a hindrance to the overall democratic socialist agenda. It's thought that if we didn't have the Senate, those states couldn't have a greater impact than their population. And the problem, you see, it's Wyoming. It's, that's the problem. Nobody mentions Delaware. I never hear any on, anyone on the left saying, you know what the real problem is? It's Delaware. Delaware doesn't need two senators. Of course, because Delaware is always on the left right now. But I mean, or Rhode Island. Rhode Island doesn't need two senators. Well, every now and then you get that because sometimes Rhode Island elects a Republican. But yet, uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean that they're always going to vote with the right on things. You do hear it with Rhode Island here and there. But no one ever says anything about Delaware. You know, Delaware, gosh, if it wasn't for dang Delaware and its two senators, I mean, things would be so much better in Washington. Well, we do hear about Wyoming. We hear about the Dakotas. We hear about all these smaller states in terms of population because they're just thwarting California. If we just had better government, just like California, where you have lots of wildfires and tens of thousands of homeless people and Nancy Pelosi ignoring rules and rolling blackouts and all these wonderful things. If we just had that for the rest of the United States, wouldn't America be great? Wouldn't America be fantastic if we governed like California? It'd be so awesome if we could just do that. So you've got Ben Sass now saying we need to repeal the 17th Amendment. Now look, I'm all on board for this. I think repealing the 17th Amendment would be a good step forward. Why? Well, because it does theoretically return federalism to the general government. The states would then send their senators. The state legislatures would elect the senators. This would put more emphasis on state legislators and state legislatures. People would actually pay attention to who you're sending to the state house because you would need to. These people are going to elect U.S. senators. So you'd want to know, hey, who is this guy or this lady that I'm sending up there? What are they they going to do? Who are they going to vote for? Now, we have to understand, even by the middle of the 19th century. What you had going on in the United States was something called canvassing. They didn't choose senators (laughs) uh, without the input of the populace. And a nice example of this is the 1858 senatorial election, where you had Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas up for election in Illinois. They went around debating in 1858. Illinois didn't, didn't directly elect their senators, but they went around debating because it was thought, well, they're going to persuade enough people and those people will put pressure on the state legislature to send them to the state legislature. This is is part of canvassing. If it was all about the state legislature, Lincoln and Douglas would have just gone to the state legislature and said, hey, look, here's my positions. This is why you should send me to the Senate. But that wasn't the case because we already had canvassing. We already had essentially a popular election in the state for the U.S. Senator, even though the state legislature was still choosing that senator. So I don't know if you could essentially eliminate the stupidity of direct election of senators, even if you had the state legislatures choose them. Of course, one of the major problems with direct election of senators is the outside money that comes in. 
and a senatorial race. These people are there to represent the states. They're there to represent the state legislature, the state itself in the United States Senate. But when you've got a Senate race in Massachusetts and you've got people from, I don't know, Alabama sending money in so that to keep the Senate 50% Republican. I mean, this, this doesn't make any sense. That senator then is getting money from outside interests, foreign interests, essentially. I mean, if you look at it that way, these are, this is foreign dollars into a senatorial race for someone that's going to be representing Massachusetts. Part of the problem here, of course, is nationalism. We've nationalized everything under the sun. Every particular issue is nationalized. I don't think taking away the 17th Amendment would get rid of that. Now, one thing it could do, and this is what many members of the founding generation argued, is that you could potentially have a situation where if the states sent the senators and you had enough states say, you know what, we're going to uh, withhold our senators because we think the general government is out of control. And if enough states withhold their senators, you don't have a quorum to do business. Well, then you have an entirely different situation. And of course, this was argued that the states could do this. Now, there was actually a point where it was thought, can the, Senate, can the Senate recall or can the states recall senators? There's nothing in the Constitution that says they can't. There's also nothing in the Constitution that says they can. So is this a power of the states? Do the states have the power to recall senators? Uh, I think that that's uh, probably not the case. Uh, though, if that power was there and there was some discussion of it, can a state recall a senator for not voting the proper way? That would give the states a tremendous amount of power in this general government. Remember, the states are supposed to be the fourth leg of the stool. You're supposed to have the three branches of government and then the states, which is the fourth branch of government. You're supposed to have the legislative, judicial, and executive branch with the states as the fourth leg. Now, if you're Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the three branches of government are the House, the Senate, and the President. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, hey, she's a great, brilliant congresswoman, right? So we've got uh, this problem with the Senate. So Ben Sass says we need to get rid of the 17th Amendment. Look, I'm on board. The other recommendations he makes are rather interesting. This is from the National Review. Every now and then the National Review has something interesting to write about. Uh, who wrote this in the National Review? Brittany Bernstein. Uh, it says, he also recommended abolishing standing committees, requiring senators to show up for debates, implementing 12-year term limits, and requiring senators to live together in dorms when in Washington. Now, let's look at these proposals uh, separately. The standing committee situation is a little interesting. Uh, if you got rid of standing committees, uh, I, I, I don't know what exactly that would do to make debate better. Of course, what he's essentially saying is that the standing committees, you know, you get into the standing committees, he says that uh, part of the problem with that is that you have cameras and these senators are essentially posing for sound bites, and that the standing committees create problems because it creates institutionalization. And that 
because of the split on the standing committees, you have you know seniority and these other things, and then you may not have the best people, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm not so certain that's necessarily a problem. Maybe a lot of the debate takes place in the standing committees rather than on the Senate floor. One thing I will say about this is most Americans don't care about hot air, right? I mean, they just don't. Uh, when it comes to senators arguing a position or not. He also thinks that maybe take the, the cameras out of the Senate entirely. Now, this is an interesting position. You see, the Senate used to be secret. If you go back and look at your first Congress, there are no, there's, no, there's nothing there. You can't read what the senator said because it was all secret. So in some ways, he's, he's going back to that. Now, he does say uh, that there would be uh, a situation where they would have uh, written testimonies and other things. I mean, people would get this information. But again, who's going to read that stuff? Well, we have transcripts of what goes on. People can go out and read these things. Who's going to read it? I don't know. I mean, look, most Americans don't even pay attention long enough to get a 20-second soundbite. So who's going to sit down and read transcripts from the Senate? Who's going to sit down and read senator speeches? Now, people used to do this. In fact, speeches used to be printed. They would be edited and then printed, and people would read them and have them. And they might make an impact. But I think Ben Sass is thinking too much of the Senate here. Too much of the Senate. There's... These people aren't even that important anymore. They're not even that great of men or women. I mean, you look at who Georgia sent to the Senate. And when you listen to her speak, it's, it's so awful. I mean, there's no substance. It's just, I mean, platitudes and slogans and uh, conservative, you know, nonsense at times. It just does I mean, she's terrible. She's terrible. We don't even have... Uh, individuals in the Senate, I would even say Ben Sass. I mean, who's Ben Sass? But regardless, uh, the fact is we've got a situation where he thinks if you take the cameras out and you abolish these standing committees, we're going to have more debate and it's going to be better. Uh, would having more debate even make a difference? Would having more debate even make the Senate better to begin with? I'm not so certain about that either. I mean, did it make the Senate better when we had, for example, in 1850, John C. Calhoun, and who couldn't speak at that point, but wrote a speech, and Daniel Webster and Henry Clay get up and make great speeches? Did it make the Senate better? Did it make the Senate better when we had Clay and Robert Hayne debate Daniel Webster in the 1830s? Did it make the Senate better? Or was the Senate the same then as it was in the first Congress? When we don't know what these people said, and we don't know what they did. Did it, did it make it better as the Senate was opened, and then we had all these debates? I mean, the, the, it was a foregone conclusion what was going to happen. All that you're doing, essentially, by having the Senate open for debate or having more debate is you're going to have the minority report, essentially. You're going to have the minority opinion. This is what we look at John C. Calhoun's speech for. Well, here's the minority opinion of what was happening in 1850. Prophetic at times, but essentially was the minority opinion. Did it make the Senate better? To think that senators would sing would be in kumbaya, that this would get rid of partisanship if these people would just debate more. Or maybe if they lived together. That's the funny part. 
that somehow this would be better if these men and women lived together in dormitories. Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing's going to, I mean, that's going to create a much more close-knit situation, and people are going to work together because they live together. I would argue there's already a whole whole bunch of, uh, you know, bipartisan stupidity in the Senate. I mean, people know that these people are all friendly with each other, for the most part. I mean, I know that we have issues at times where senators are not, but to think that they're not is just foolish. It's foolish. So if they all live together, and this used to be the case. Now, look, one thing I'll say about that is that Washington is too cozy. If they made it more difficult for these people to live in D.C., maybe it's not about camaraderie, but maybe it's about turning off the A.C., and not giving them uh, a substantial uh, stipend so that they can't live in comfort while they're in D.C. These people aren't oligarchs. They're not aristocrats. They're not elected princes or princesses. They're not any of those things. So maybe making it more uncomfortable in D.C. would mean they wouldn't be there as much. And then we could let the states govern again. Because that would be something new. Now, the 12-year term limits. I mean, you could argue that that's important, that term limits would maybe prevent uh, you know, people like Joe Biden from sitting up there and rotting away when you control the power of uh, the post office to ensure that you can just send out stuff anytime you want. Your opponent has to spend more money. You get name recognition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a daunting task to try to knock out a sitting senator But the founding generation thought it was fine to have senators there for more than two terms. They also thought it was fine for the president to do so, at least initially. And the only reason they did is because Washington stepped down. But the fact is, I mean, would repealing, I'm sorry, would making senators liable to, uh, you know, term limits, would that make it different? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that term limits, I could make a case for and against term limits. If there's a good senator that you have there, well, I mean, you want that person to continue to be there. So I can make a case that, you know, if, if uh, we had somebody that was worthwhile in the Senate, well, then you don't want him to go home because they're going to do a good job. The problem, of course, is corruption. The real problem of all this is not, by, it's not uh, you know, partisanship. It's nationalism. Because if we didn't have a national government, the Senate would be irrelevant. The Congress would in many ways be irrelevant. The presidency would be irrelevant. The Supreme Court would be irrelevant. It would all be irrelevant because the states would be doing most of the work. And the Senate and the House would be handling the things that they're charged of doing, which is foreign policy and ensuring that we have a free trade zone in the United States. Other than that, they wouldn't be doing anything else. The Senate could focus on foreign policy. We wouldn't have legislation that's unconstitutional. We wouldn't have any of that if, this, if we didn't have nationalism. Now, he does say, uh, this is part of it. I mean, nationalism is part of it. What he says at the end, he says, without posturing for cameras, Republicans and Democrats cooperate on some of America's most complicated and urgent problems. He's talking, of course, about foreign policy. Well, the issue there, of course, is that that's one of the things they're charged with doing. The Senate's not charged with solving uh, the environmental crisis or education in America 
or health care in America. The Congress has no, has no authority to do these things. The problem is not that there's partisanship in the Senate. The problem is that we have a Congress that is doing things it shouldn't be doing. He says, the founding generation will be stunned by the deformed structure of our government. The Congress they envisioned is all but dead. The Senate, in particular, is supposed to be a place where Americans hammer out our biggest challenges with debate. That hasn't happened for decades, and the rod is bipartisan. So we're supposed to hammer out America's biggest challenges. No, it's not. That's not what the Senate is supposed to be. The Senate was supposed to be a check on the House of Representatives, right? The Senate was supposed to have a check on the entire system, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the legislative branch. The states essentially were supposed to have a check on that. And they weren't supposed to hammer out the biggest challenges with debate because, in reality, those biggest challenges have always been congressional usurpation of power. I mean, this is, this is true. The things that we talk about Congress doing are so unconstitutional most of the time that they shouldn't even be there. The Senate shouldn't be debating these things anyways. This should all be before the states. It should all be before the state legislatures. So maybe repealing the 17th Amendment would allow for the states to have more of a role in the government. But more importantly, what we should be talking about is not just repealing the 17th Amendment, but downgrading the role of the federal government and just about everything in American life. We should be talking about states and localities. At one point he says, you know, all government is local. Let me see if I can find the Wall Street Journal op-ed where he, I think he made the point. He says that Many of the left think the problem is the filibuster, which requires a supermajority to end debate and enact most legislation. But ending the filibuster would allow political parties to change the direction of the country dramatically with a succession of shifting 51-49 votes. That's a path to even more polarization and instability. The Senate's culture needs dramatic changes aimed at promoting debate, not ending it. Uh, I, I don't... I mean, yeah, okay. And he's right about you, but the real issue here is nationalism. It's nationalism. 5149, it's nationalism that's at the heart of the problem. Uh, And, again, SAS is on to something, but I don't think that um, some of these things are correct. He says, the old saying used to be that all politics is local, but today, thanks to the internet, 24-7 cable news, and a cottage industry dedicated to political addiction, politics is polarized and national. That would change if state legislatures had direct control over who serves in the Senate. I mean, that's a great quote. But this was an ongoing process. It's not because of the internet and 24-7 cable news and because of the civic religion that we have in America. It's because we have people that have made every issue national. And that is the key problem. We need to be thinking locally and acting locally. And the states could just stop all this stuff if they wanted to anyway, simply by refusing to comply with federal law. 
Nullification would end all of this. It would create an environment where we had a real federal republic again. But that's not uh, something that anyone like Ben Sass would talk about. Because when you start saying that, you're just going to get tarred and feathered with all kinds of pejoratives that simply aren't true. But you're going to be called all kinds of names by the left. And nobody wants to be called names. So, at least Ben Sass is on to something. I mean, you know, other senators, I wish other senators would get on board with this or... Uh, you know, making a, a tremendous amount of uh, noise about the 17th Amendment. It would take a monumental political movement to get rid of the 17th Amendment, and you're going to have the left rally around it because they would say that's ending democracy in America. And, of course, democracy is something we have to genuflect, genuflect towards and uh, say our rosary in favor of every single day. Uh, not, the, not the Catholic rosary, but a rosary with Abraham Lincoln at the end, uh, sitting in a chair, and, uh, you know, beads that are uh, the, the symbol of uh, the U.S. flag. I mean, this is what we have to do and, uh, on, on, on a regular basis, uh, which I think the neocons do. Anyways, uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. We got one more for this week. I'll see you tomorrow. See you then.